0: Okay, so last week I gave a pretty quick overview of the purpose of insight meditation, which in a nutshell is to see clearly into every aspect of our lives so that we can develop insight or understanding or wisdom about how we create harm and suffering for ourselves, for others. And how we can release those patterns that tend to lead in unskillful directions so that we're able to live with more ease, with more happiness, with more peace and freedom. And again, just to emphasize that that has benefit not only for ourselves, but for everyone that around us too. And so we start that whole Process of developing insight or understanding by cultivating two specific qualities of the mind, namely sati and samari, to use the Pali words. Sati, the word that's usually translated as mindfulness, which is the capacity to know what we're doing as we're doing it and to know that we know. And then samari is usually translated as concentration, But I try to avoid that because in English the word concentration has connotations of a forced focusing of the mind. So instead I prefer to translate samadhi as steadiness of mind, as stability, unwaveringness, non-distractability. And that steadiness allows the mind to stay connected and present with everything we experience without getting lost in subtle or not-so-subtle reactions to it. So it sounds pretty simple, but as I'm guessing you all know from your own experience, it's not that easy to put it into practice, which is why it's called a practice. It's a skill that takes training. Unfortunately, because of the mind's neuroplasticity, each moment of mindfulness makes it more likely and more easy for another one to occur. So whether we're aware of it or not, as we're sitting here, we're literally sculpting our minds, shaping our minds. Every time we have a moment of mindfulness, we're strengthening that mental capacity. So to begin that training, to amplify it in a way, we usually start with mindfulness of breathing because the breath has qualities that help to develop both sati and samadhi together. The gentle rhythm of the breath is soothing for most people and that helps develop the steadiness of samadhi. And then because the breath is subtly changing, it strengthens the interest and the attention of sati, or mindfulness. So that's, in a nutshell, where we got to last week. And tonight, I'd like to continue developing mindfulness of the body, because the body is such a powerful support for our practice in quite a few different ways. One, paying attention to the breath and the body acts as a kind of anchor that helps to counter the mind's tendency to be scattered and distracted. For example, as you're sitting here right now, perhaps for some of you, you're thinking about what you did at work today, or you're planning what you're going to watch when you finally get home this evening. And there can be a sense of fragmentation or scatteredness or distractedness, which in itself is agitating, when we really pay attention and we notice when there's that split kind of quality, split attention, it's subtly unpleasant, distressing. So we use the breath and the body as a kind of a home base to come back to because when the body, the heart and the mind are all settled and unified on just one thing, one place, one time, it's a soothing and nourishing experience. The second benefit of paying attention to the body is that it brings us directly into the present moment because physical experience only ever happens now. Unlike thoughts, which create the illusion of being in the past or the future, that throbbing in the ankle is happening now. That tension between the shoulder blades is happening now. That subtle sense of relief as you breathe out is happening now. So every moment that you reconnect with your physical experience is also a moment of coming back to present moment reality. And then a third benefit of paying attention to the body is it acts as a kind of reference point to show us how fast, by comparison, the mind is usually moving. So one metaphor for this is it can be like putting a stick in a stream. If you think of the stream and I plant this stick in the stream bed, then we can see very clearly the rushing of the water against that stick. Whereas without the stick, we just go with the flow We don't even realize how far we've been carried because we don't have a reference point. And how quickly, we don't see how quickly we get caught, carried away into regrets about the past or fantasies about the future. But the minute we come back to the body, that helps us to reorient and helps us take the energy out of the thought storm of whatever the proliferation might have been. So one of my teachers, uh, Gil Fransdell, has a way of talking about this, which I found very helpful in my own practice I've shared with some of you on retreat. He uses the image of a wheel to represent the different aspects of our experience, and he lays them out in concentric circles. So he talks about the body and the breath, as being at the hub of the wheel, the center. And then just out from the center, just a few millimeters out, is feeling tones, recognizing things as pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And then further out from that, again, is all of our mental activity, thoughts, emotions, moods, mind states, and then at the rim of the wheel is what happens when there is no mindfulness. Namely what we call proliferation. And prolifer- <laughs> proliferation is what the mind does when it gets caught in looping and spinning out and concocting and fabricating and getting caught in stories of all kinds. Usually suffering. So in Gill's model, proliferation is at the outer rim of the wheel and the breath and the body are at the center. And I'll be going into more what happens in between those two over the next few weeks. But for now, you might get a sense from that image that the further we get from the hub of the wheel, the more likely we are to get caught in spinning out, in looping, in proliferating, And so when we recognize that, we can use it as a kind of reminder to come back, get off the rim, come back to the hub of the wheel, to just the simplicity of the breath of the body. And that redirects the energy back. And because the hub of the wheel feels more stable, more centered compared to the outer rim, it's easier to calm down. So perhaps you've noticed this in your own experience when you're caught in spinning out. If there's just enough mindfulness to go, okay, stop, take a breath, come back to the body, it can help withdraw the energy of that sort of centrifugal force. Having said that, it relies on us having enough awareness to even recognize that that's what's happened and enough awareness to keep bringing our attention back to the body. And that, again, is easier said than done because we live in a culture, a dominant culture, that tends to privilege the intellect over the body. And for many people, including me early in my practice, the body was just some kind of, I don't know, dumb appendage. And we didn't pay that much attention to it unless it was in pain or we were ill or something. For other people, the body is a battlefield and it's a site of war as we try to make the body more like this and less like that and be this way and not that way. So there's a further benefit from training in mindfulness of the body is that it helps us to develop a healthier and more balanced attitude to the body. Through mindfulness, as we pay close, careful, kind attention, we understand very directly the body is constantly changing. It's not possible to fix it exactly how we'd like it to be. And it's not completely under our control. In fact, there's not that much that it actually is under our control when we really look at it. So with that clear seeing, we learn to relate to the body and appreciate it just as it is, without resisting or rejecting or identifying with any aspect of it. In the beginning, though, most of us need to train in developing this more balanced relationship. And this is where what's known as bare awareness comes in. So mindfulness has built into it this quality of bare awareness, non-reactivity. So as some of you know, in secular mindfulness circles, mindfulness is often defined as the awareness that arises from paying attention on purpose in the present moment and non-judgmentally. So to highlight that non-judgmental aspect, sometimes the image of a mirror is used. We have, well, it's a blackboard tonight, but sometimes it's a mirror. So on the other side of that is a mirror. And if we were to turn it over, whatever was reflected in the mirror, whether it's ugly or beautiful or neutral, is irrelevant. The mirror just accurately reflects whatever comes in front of it. And in a similar way, perhaps using a slightly different metaphor, mindfulness or awareness is sometimes talked about as being like the sky. So the sky is not impacted by whatever weather systems pass through it sunshine, or rain, or wind, or hail, or thunder, or lightning, everything we've been experiencing actually in the last few days, all of that moves through awareness, and awareness itself is not affected by these different and constantly changing weather systems. So just a quick uh, note here, sometimes there's a misunderstanding that Non-reactivity means non-responsiveness, but that's a misunderstanding. We're not trying to become some kind of inert lump of stone. Mindfulness actually aims to make us more sensitive, more aware, more intimate with our experience. And then when necessary, we still take action but we're doing it with full awareness rather than on autopilot. And again, in the beginning, for most of us, it takes a bit of practice to get used to keep bringing awareness back to the body and to be able to tune in to all the different sensations that are going on. But as we develop more skill at it, we start to discover more and more subtle and refined aspects of our experience. You could even say that it opens up a whole new channel of information of embodied wisdom that's quite different from our usual understanding of wisdom as being a kind of intellectual knowledge. And I know this can be difficult because I've shared with some of you for myself when I did my first ever six-week mindfulness course Every week, the leader would say, so just sit here and pay attention to the sensations in your body. And I'd be going, what? Sensations? I don't have any sensations in my body. I had no clue what they were talking about. And the next week, I came back and she'd say, just bring awareness to the sensations in your body. And I'd just sit there like this. (laughs) I don't know what it was. And then I think it was like week three or week four. I felt a little tingling in my foot. I was like, it's a sensation. (laughs) And then this whole world opened up and I couldn't believe how oblivious I'd been. It was like a switch switched on and the body became alive. And presumably that had been going on for the previous 30 years. And I had just tuned all of it out. So I I say that just to normalize with our cultural training and conditioning that this isn't necessarily easy. So many of us need to develop a language to describe the range of sensations that we can encounter. And so I sometimes think of it as a training in what I call body literacy. So for example, even right now, noticing qualities of temperature Probably different parts of your body are warmer or cooler. Can you recognize that? This might be quite obvious. For some it might be quite subtle. Then sensations to do with pressure. Maybe hardness or softness, tightness or ease. Anybody aware of anything in that sort of domain? And then movement. Tingling or vibrating, throbbing, pulsing, or hot. And then various kinds of other discomfort, maybe itching or aching or burning or prickling and so on. Sounds like some of you recognize that. So you might notice that I didn't talk about pain there. And when we start to name these experiences for ourselves, the usual instruction is rather than using words like pain or perhaps agony or excruciating, we try to stay in more neutral terminology because we want to develop this non-reactive awareness. And also because hopefully none of you are in the terrain of agony or excruciating, we want to take wise action before we get to that point. So in this, we're always finding the middle way, not moving the minute or the second we feel any trace of discomfort, but also not gritting it out with some kind of toughing, rigid mentality either. So middle way. And we try to bring what we call kind curiosity to what otherwise might be labeled as pain. And the beginning instruction is just to spend a few moments tuning in to whatever that is. So even right now, there might be some area of your body where there's some discomfort. Can you bring the awareness there just for a moment and see what is it? Is it burning, hardness, numbness, pressure, tightness, aching? pulling, heat, and so on. And then if you start to notice the kind of teeth gritting and the breath getting tighter, then at that point in the meditation, you might literally bow or metaphorically bow. Okay, that's enough. And then mindfully adjust the posture And I forgot to say last week, it's also fine to change from sitting to standing, especially if there's sleepiness. Standing posture can be very helpful to bring more energy, and perhaps if any of you do have chronic pain, to relieve pain too. So again, we're trying to find that balance between not automatically moving the minute you feel discomfort, Because as many of you know, the more we move, the more we want to move. And then we find ourselves just wriggling and it becomes even more unbearable. But neither do we want to sit with grim determination. So in the service of finding that balance, that might be a good place to stop. And just take, we'll take about 15 minutes for tea. And then we'll come back and put some of those techniques into practice. So thank you for your attention. Fifteen minutes just to mindfully refresh the body.